Hi, I'm Dr. Stan Steindl. Welcome to Compassion in a T-shirt, in session, where I get the absolute privilege of talking to people from all around the world who are working with compassion. If you find these videos helpful, please consider subscribing to my channel. Today, I'll be speaking with Ross McIntosh, who is an organizational and coaching psychologist in the UK. He's worked for over 20 years in senior HR roles in government and now runs his own consultancy. He also researches and lectures at the University of London in the field of organizational psychology. He hosts the hugely popular People Soup podcast, Nourishing the Mind, Flourishing at Work. He is joyfully committed to sending goodness out into the world. And so I do hope you enjoy my conversation in session with my friend, Ross McIntosh. Good. Well, welcome, <laughs> Ross McIntosh. Thank you. Um, it's, um, well, it is great to, to get a chance to talk with you. The, the, the big thing I'm excited about uh, is we were just discussing, actually, all, all things podcasting and YouTubing and kind of technical challenges <laughs> that, um, that that all involves. And so I, I was looking forward to getting a chance to, to sort of speak with a a, um, a, a person on, on a similar journey with, uh, with the technical stuff, but also with the, the compassion related things. I mean, you, you have your wonderful podcast, People Soup, and um, I'm hoping to, to hear a bit more about that later, but I think we really connected more so on um, 365 Days of Compassion you know, over on Twitter and, and mm. uh, the wonderful community that Chris Winson has set up there and, and, um, and sort of the friends that we, that we all get to, to kind of meet through, through all of that. So um, thank you for putting some time aside and, and uh, being willing to, to have a chat. You're in an interesting space there. What, what, what's, where are you at at the moment? Yeah. Um... Well, first of all, hi, Stan. I'm Hello. absolutely giddy to be here. Thank you for that intro. Um, and yeah, I often get envy when I see little shots of your tech setup or your new oh. soundproofing wall coverings and things. I often geek out at that. And we've just been having a bit of a geek out about editing software and stuff. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I'm in a bit of a booth here at the minute. Mm. I, I joined a co-working space. I live in Brighton in the UK hmm. and I joined a co-working space just up the road from me. And it's a beautiful building, exposed concrete architecture. And it's got these little kind of soundproof phone booths. So that's where I am. I'm in a little booth. I'm not entirely convinced by the acoustics. I've got my little mic here. Yes. And do you know what? It's even got a ring light here. Oh. Or what they call in the trade a beauty light. Yes. I'm not sure whether it's working on my beauty, but um <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I, I have a, a ring light at work too, and and um it, it creates these delicate circles in one's pupils. Yeah. And also on your glasses. So it's kind <laughs> of a... <laughs> it's all of these funny technicalities. And and of course. The color choice in that booth, I guess, makes sense. It's kind of a green screen behind you. 
yeah, we could project Godzilla or something behind me, you know. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I guess the thing that I haven't gotten to do yet is to really hear about you and and have a a more in-depth sense of, of... who is Ross McIntosh, you know? And, and so um, I wondered if we could start with that, just, just to hear a little bit about, well, you and maybe your life or certainly um, your journey into the work that you're doing and, and uh, the People Soup sort of project and possibly, you know, compassion. But yeah, so mm. tell, us, tell us about all that. Blimey, okay, I'll give it a go. I'll start with Stan. the big questions. Yeah, I'm it. Friday morning. So I am an organizational, organizational and coaching psychologist. And I really specialize in cultivating psychological well-being and behavioral flexibility in the workplace. I really focused on the workplace. And my journey to get to this point has been as ever. As with all our journeys, it's had some twists and turns. Um, I originally grew up in the north of England, up in Northumberland, very proud of that, near Newcastle. And I went to study in Dundee. I did my first degree years, decades, blimey, decades ago in psychology. And then I came down to big London and started a career in the civil service moved around departments. I started in the home office or what you might call the Ministry of the Interior. And I then started to move into HR roles. So I developed my career there. Um, Really enjoyed doing the HR people side of things. And along the way, picked up a master's in human resource management. And then fast forward 20 or, or odd years and I found myself in relatively senior HR position in a government department. And thinking, blimey, is this it? Is this what my career is stretching forward going to be? And I remember one day I was talking to my husband, uh, he's Spanish, and I was saying to him, I'm not really sure I'm making the sort of impact I'd like to make in the workplace. I can see people who are kind of switched to autopilot in their careers and not really getting a, having a fulfilling time at work. And I said, what will I be remembered for in the workplace? And he said, that's easy. You won't be remembered. And I was like, oh, crikey. And he said that with much love. The Spanish are far more direct than the English. And yeah, you won't be remembered. And that made me think, well, hell, if I'm not gonna be remembered, maybe I should do something different. Cause I could just see this career stretching before me and it might involve another promotion. It might involve some interesting stuff. And, but there was something, there was an itch I needed to scratch. So, Again, skipping forward a bit, I went back to uni and did another master's in organizational psychology at City University of London. And I thought I was gonna become a bit of a guru in assessment and selection, doing things like assessment centers um, for senior roles, because that had been my final role in the government department. I was designing and developing and 
responsible to the board for identifying our future leaders for these various senior roles. And I thought, oh, I'm going to enhance my capability in that. And then I had lectures from Dr. Paul Flaxman, my buddy, who is, I think it's safe to say, a bit of an act guru, not a bit of an act guru, an act in the workplace guru. And his lesson, his lessons, his lectures on well-being at work based upon act blew my mind. I was like, holy shit, this is what I've been looking for in my life. It made so much sense to me personally. And then since then, I've been on this journey trying to work out how to make this accessible to organizations, both on a group level and on a one-to-one -one level in coaching. I'm fortunate enough, I'm still working with Paul. We've been working together for six years, redesigning our workplace protocol. And over that time, I've been incorporating CFT. Yeah, I first came across CFT and compassion through the brilliant curation by Chris Winson, and then reconnected. And I think since the pandemic hit, I think that's really accelerated my journey into compassion before it's been a core element of this idea, hey, we can be a bit kinder to ourselves and treat ourselves with more gentleness and curiosity. But since lockdown, I think organizations are noticing that, hey, we need to look after these people who work for us more. And I found that as a way in for compassion and I've got involved. I've been running various things which have much more of a compassion um, component, if you like. And People Soup is part of that. People Soup is my podcast, which you've kindly mentioned already. And that is my mission to get this stuff out there to more people because, blimey, I think workplaces need it. And I think the workplace is an ideal arena to talk about these things because people are suffering at work. I really value being able to just sort of listen in there and, and kind of hear really what was a steady flow actually, wasn't it? The, the, it when we look back, there was direction right from the beginning, you know, towards where you perhaps are. Right at the beginning, you felt drawn to working with people and the HR mm. sort of stuff was the bit that tickled your fancy sort of early on and, and then, you know, gradually um, moving towards sort of, you know, leadership and, and kind of selection and helping people to, to sort of be in the right roles, but then kind of stumbling across this other thing, this, the well-being, the psychological flexibility and how helpful that might be in the workplace and, and sort of, but always tracing back to this sort of this theme around people and, and helping mm. people and helping people to, to really flourish. Um, workplace is your context in a way and, and um, but yeah, helping people flourish and, and then a very logical kind of step is, is the piece around compassion as well, you know, not only helping people flourish, but just acknowledging that there is suffering too in amongst all that potentially. And, and certainly the, the pandemic and, and the lockdowns and so on really brings that 
to the fore, doesn't it? You know, suddenly mm -hmm. we're aware that actually uh, people are suffering and the, the workplace potentially has a role there to, to, to watch out for people and to, to support and to provide ways for them to, well, for us all to, to get through this very community-wide, society-wide, worldwide, um, you know, kind of suffering that's going on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, I think, I think there's, a, there's a lot I'm, I'm learning on my, on my journey into compassion in, in the, in the workplace stuff I've been working on with Paul Flaxman at City. We didn't, we don't call it compassion. We use something you may be familiar with called acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm. And at the core of that, at the heart of that, we talk about the skill we're cultivating in that workplace training is, is noticing. Noticing with curiosity and kindness. Mm. Can we notice, first of all, in a, in a work environment, what's going on around us? Or are we stuck in our heads? Can we notice how we're showing up? Are we showing up in a way that really brings to life who we'd like to be? And can we notice also that stuff that's going on between our ears, that stuff that might be hijacking the way we're showing up, hijacking our behavior and causing us distress or causing us to, to show up in a way that we wouldn't be particularly proud of. And our own research in delivering these act-based programs indicates that we typically deliver it over a four-session program over, say, four consecutive weeks, Stan. And we do pre-, post-, follow-up measures. And our pre-measures can show that of people who volunteer to come on a workplace, workplace program like that, around 40, sometimes up to 50% are experiencing borderline clinical levels of psychological distress. And that blows my mind. Mm. And that is kind of what gets me up in the morning, thinking, crikey, we've got something here that's based in evidence that organizations can use. It can help people get more out of their career it can help people approach difficult, challenging events in a different way. It can help people get more curious. I love that word, curious. And it can help them really pause and reflect who they'd, who they'd like to be in there. In their, you talked about the context. And that context can shift over our careers, I think. Hmm. So, so, yeah, I think it's so useful for organizations. So I try and bang on about it as much as possible in the hopes then that we can reach more people. Hmm. Noticing with curiosity and kindness. That's hmm. the kind of the, the, almost the, the, the core skill that then a whole bunch of other things kind of hangs off that, you know, but, but hmm. noticing with, with curiosity and kindness that the, the world around us and what's happening around us uh, our own actions and how we're engaging with the world around us and then within our own minds and the kind of stuff that's happening up there as well and and I guess on each of those fronts you know we're, we're, yeah, we're wanting to notice with curiosity and kindness there's a sort of a Im implied self and other 
kind of stuff there, a bit like we talk about in CFT. So noticing curiosity, first of all, you said you love curiosity. So tell us what, what's your sort of thoughts there, your concept around curiosity or what it is or, or how we can activate that. Uh, I think I think I'm always I'm always looking for ways we can make this land in the workplace with busy people with people are like oh what's this guy doing he's going to tell us how to hug a tree or he's going to do that soft stuff that fluffy stuff mm. and that not so much now that used to be a bit like a red rag to me I mean, I, ugh, really irritate me because it's like hey this stuff is anything but soft or fluffy mm. and it's not easy either but that my my little outbursts aside that, that that curiosity is about noticing and there's a piece of research i sometimes quote in training that we can spend about 47 percent of our waking hours not here not in the here and now with our minds wandering off and if your mind's anything like mine it can go into the future and really nail catastrophic scenarios that are about to happen either in the immediate future or in a couple of weeks or in the longer term or look backwards look back and think oh you're so embarrassing you're such an idiot um you did that or can't believe you macintosh so we've got these minds that are so critical or as one of my podcast guests, Eric Goodman, an anxiety specialist, he calls our minds glitchy. I love that word. Uh -huh. it's, like a, it's like a bodyguard that's trying to protect us and do its best, but it's quite misguided and doesn't recognize our context that reliably and gets things wrong a lot. Yes. So it's it's finding ways to get this message out there and normalizing that in the workplace we can have these thoughts. And there's ways in, I think, there's ways in to talk about, a lot of people have heard about imposter syndrome in life, in the workplace. I tend to think it's just them that has it. Well, I think most people have some level of imposter syndrome. And I think... That can be a really rewarding moment in training where you, you, I do my best to normalize that. Mm. To say, hey, everyone in this room will be having some content like this, or most people in this room, because some people are a bit puzzled when I talk about this. Oh, okay. But I, but I think the majority go, really? And there's something quite powerful when someone in a room talks about, if, if we're just having an open discussion and they say, what's showing up in your mind? And they say something like fear or anxiety. And, I say, and you can see other people looking at them going, oh, but I thought you had this career thing and life nailed mate." And to hear you say that, it's like, whoa. And I think that starts to create that connection that, that um, compassionate bond and realize that that could be the thread that connects us in the workplace, that 
that we suffer and there's that we're not alone in that yes we we can be fabulous sort of movie script writers can't we you know like kind of creating the the sort of the the catastrophe type movie script or we can be really judgy historians you know like just sort of coming up with sort of rewriting history or or something like that and and all of that takes us a bit away from from noticing in in fact mm -hmm. when when all that's going on you you tend to just sort of bow down a little bit but just by lifting the head you know and by suddenly noticing you know that what's what's going on in the world or, or within ourselves too but but it's it's I, I like curiosity you know curiosity bringing curiosity to our noticing uh so that it's not so much what if but what next or mm. um, you know what else or you know things like that and starting to to really quite actively notice with a with a kind of a curious motivation and then the other bit you mentioned was with kindness so how do you go getting that across you know with with the people that you're working with i think it's by by laying it out there a bit and saying this this content that our minds generate our minds generate we can often treat it as 100% true and 100% accurate and it can stop us being the person we'd like to be and by shining a light and exploring this content of our minds i'm not doing this in the workplace to be cruel to focus you in on that i'm doing it because the more we shine a light on it, the more we can just hold that and, and explore that with that kindness, because we've got this critical, glitchy mind. We're not looking to give you another stick to beat yourself with. We're looking to think, oh, OK, so that's going on. Mm. And how would I really like to be in this in this context? And it's, I always say to people, we're not creating saints using this type of behavioral science. Isn't going to transform you into the saint of the workplace who's always showing up as the person you'd like to be. It's more a way of, can you notice perhaps when you're not showing up as your best self and work out what, what might be going on inside that could be influencing that. Mm. And I think the, the way we find to bring that to life most effectively in the workplace is storytelling, telling stories, genuine stories about what's going on inside of our heads, mm. saying, look, and revealing that to people. And I think that can be our research. We do, we do some follow-up interviews and they're saying they remember the moments where we share. So that's, that's why I share in training to, to almost role model that for people and say, mm. hey, I, I'm here trying to cultivate and share these skills with you, but I'm not the sort of all encompassing guru of this. I am a human like you mm. and I still have this. I've been practicing this for six, seven years now, and I'm not that saint, but I can notice a bit more often. I can think about who I'd like to be in different scenarios in my life, and I can be that person a bit more often than I'd like to be. Mm. And I think the other thing we, we, we focus on is this, these are skills not just for you in the workplace. This isn't some sort of motivation from your secret boss to get 
more out of you. This is, these are skills you can apply in any area of life. Hmm. Yes, it occurs to me as I, I listen to you that, that kind of curiosity opens the noticing up a bit and kindness kind of warms it up a bit. You know, it's, it's sort of a little bit something like that. Um, and trying to, to bring curiosity and, and kindness to ourselves and our own minds and, and mm. not, not to be perfect at it. And, and um, goodness knows, <laughs> um, no matter how long we practice this stuff, it, we, we don't tend to get perfect at it or saintly. Mm. Um, but just gradually having that little win where you just kind of notice it a bit sooner or you sort of step out of that mode a little bit more easily one time and, and building upon all of that. You mentioned before those things that would irritate you. <laughs> people would say, oh, sorry, you just took a drink. Uh, people would say, um, you know, the soft skills and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I suppose this is something I'm, I'm always really curious about is, is, is the challenges, you know, the, the, the things, the, the, the responses or even reactions people have to curiosity, kindness, compassion, and, you know, even the psychological flexibility stuff. I mean, what, what, do, you, what, what do you get from, from people in the workplace? And, and do you notice any kind of themes there or, or sort of patterns? Mm, it really, really interesting, Stan, because I think, as I say, I'm on this, I'm on this journey ex experimenting a bit of mm. ways I can bring this in. And I hope this sounds right. I, I hope you get what I mean, but I've used mm. the pandemic as a vehicle to think because I, obviously a lot of people's worlds have been enormously impacted by a pandemic. They maybe have lost people dear to them, been, their own health has been impacted, or they found themselves working at a kitchen table trying to homeschool and do their job. And ah, so many worlds have collided for people. And I think organizations, thank goodness, are thinking, how can we offer our people more support? How can we offer them really practical evidence-based skills that can help them? And some themes I'm finding, it can be a difficult way in. I did a little sort of taste of presentation to an organization, um, a tech organization, let's just say that. And I was talking I didn't talk about acceptance and commitment therapy, but I was basing my presentation on that. And we tend to use a, a brilliant tool called the ACT matrix, which as it, at its heart has that, we put that at its heart, that noticing with curiosity and kindness. And I was talking about if we can notice how we're showing up, if we can notice how we want to be, our working lives can be more satisfying we have, can be more psychologically well, which is an enormous predictor and a very reliable predictor of performance, attendance and turnover. And I could see people nodding. And then when I'm talking about the more unhelpful stuff, I could see some people turning off a bit. I could see some people, and it was actually the, well, it was the CEO who then asked me, well, okay, it's all very well taking time out to notice stuff and be kind, but we've got stuff to deliver. We pride ourselves on being very agile and getting shit done. And 
and how does this square with that if we need to take this time out to do this? And I said, well, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think we can do both. And I think they will bring you even more benefits and potentially creativity and innovation if we are creating that environment of psychological safety and compassion and nurturing. And I don't think I convinced that CEO. I maybe gave, I could see other people were really like, but I didn't get invited back. But maybe that was a bit provocative and maybe planted a seed in a few people's minds there. I think the other thing people, when you talk about compassion at work, people think, well, oh, compassion, that's a bit soft. And I found ways in, Stan. I found, uh, partly, not to sound like a sycophant, but partly due to your work, the stuff you're putting out there, um, has been enormously useful. So sharing, sharing the emotional regulation system, that systems, that could be quite a powerful thing. And there's a little exercise in your book about just seeing which one's in the driving seat at the moment. Is it the, is it the drive? Is it the threat? Or is it that soothing affiliative? And knowing where maybe you need to place your attention next. Again, that noticing. And something that I have nicked from you, I thought, oh my goodness, that really resonates with you. And I've shamelessly nicked it, Stan. So here's my confession. Is your turtle story. Oh, yes. Absolutely love that. And I thought, right, I'm just, I think because I'm older and perhaps thinking, I'm so driven by wanting to share this type of science with people that I just think, bloody hell, I'm going to do it. So arranging a little one hour workplace webinar with an organization I work with or with a teacher's project I did with teachers in Bristol, I, I developed a series of one hour webinars called, and they were called things like getting perspective, relating to your anxiety, connected to your purpose at work, disconnecting from work and recharging your batteries, care, being kind to yourself and each other, and noticing, connecting to the present moment. So I de designed and developed these one hour workshops for teachers where they could dip into one or they could go to the whole shoot and shebang, the whole program. And the care one got a really positive response. Um, this idea that we can be kind to other people and it can be more challenging to be kind to ourselves, to turn that spotlight of kindness and compassion onto ourselves and getting people to do some gentle exercises and sharing your wonderful turtle story really resonated with that group of people and i've tried that in in government too mm. and i think it's a way in i think there's still a way to go i think what i'm looking to do is get better at myth busting up front because there's always there's always this alarm from senior particularly from senior people like 
oh, this just means we can watch deadlines fly by us. If people haven't fulfilled what they were, the project, we can just go, that's all right, mate, don't worry. And getting them to appreciate how that's not what compassion is. Compassion is a kind of golden thread that can connect us and, and help us humanize the workplace and deliver and develop extraordinary things. It's not getting soft on people, which is, it's, it's my ongoing sort of exploration, trying to see what lands and what doesn't land. In fact, I think, you know, in so many ways, that is the work, isn't it? it is to rock up to a place like a, a tech company or, or relatively recently, I, I did a similar sort of thing, at, I think at, at, a, um, at a real estate uh, firm. And that is the work is to try to identify what are the challenges that bubble up with this group, you know, what sorts of fears, blocks and resistances ar arise and how can we find our way with them through, through some of that. And, and yeah, the classic one in organisations like that really is that idea that somehow being compassionate will make us soft or unmotivated or lax or lazy or you know not meeting deadlines and and yes you very wisely picked up on you know this, this you can see threat system drive system starting you know alarm bells are ringing in in those two circles aren't they the the, the threat system is kind of like oh you know what if this all goes bad and the drive system is we've got to win you know or, or whatever and and so those really um, you know, the, the, that's where those, those challenges seem to arise. And I, I was wondering whether certain industries, you know, might be different from each other and, and the teachers. Well, that's interesting mm. that they're, they're perhaps more aware of, of, well, just the, the need for self-care and, and so on, as well as all of the, the looking after that they do of others mm. too. And, and so, it's never going to quite be the same, is it? When we take this work to wherever, we then have to be on our toes, you know, and, and ready to, to deal with these, these little mm. resistances and, 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 and myths. And that's what I love about, I'm, I'm a freelancer. So that's what I love. I get opportunities. I'm very fortunate to have opportunities to work with different organisations. So I work quite a lot in the National Health Service, the NHS. And I was invited to co-develop and deliver a compassionate leadership program hmm. during the midst of the pandemic. And we were, honestly, we were flying by the seat of our pants, me and my dear colleague, Dr. Helen Sinclair. And we were combining compassion-focused therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, respecting the organizational context we were in, and then building on that to incorporate pro-social. So how can you apply this to the teams and the context you find yourselves in? Again, it's a bit like teachers. We find that people who work in a healthcare setting, enormously compassionate for their patients, or sometimes they call them service users, depending on who it is, but very rarely turning that light of compassion onto themselves. And Helen, my friend Helen, developed a lovely metaphor, which I'd love to share. Please. And she, she talked about, we have this, this, this outer world, but we have this inner world. 
And that could be like an inner boardroom. An inner boardroom in our minds and round the table, we are the, we are the kind of chair of the meeting and we can observe what's going on and who is around the table. And quite a lot of those people around the table are, Mr. You're going to be discovered for the fraud and the charlatan that you are. Um, doctor, you're no good. You've never been any good and you're a bit stupid. Um, someone in the corner going, oh, you can do that later. Don't worry, mate. And, or there's another one there, I could just see around my board table, you're gonna to get told off, you're gonna get into trouble with what you're doing. We use that metaphor throughout the training and built on it as what's happening in your inner boardroom? What are those board members saying? But the beautiful thing that Helen did was she added to this and said, whilst we can't necessarily control the volume or the what our inner boardroom, what they're saying around that table. We can choose where we direct our attention and we can introduce new members to the boardroom table. And she does this in such a beautiful way. She was saying, what would a, what would a compassionate member of your boardroom look like? What sort of tone would they speak to you in? What sort of things would they say? And how would they respond to the challenges you face in your career? And we kind of give that to people as a bit of homework. What would your compassionate board member be like? It could be your pet who could suddenly talk. It could be someone who's no longer with you. It could be uh, someone you really respect and admire. But knowing you can have a look at your boardroom and and look what's going on around the table and then hear from your compassionate boardroom member. I personally really love that. And we're having a great response from our attendees on that, that, oh, it's kind of giving people permission. I love it. I, I think um, it, it's a beautiful uh, metaphor or, and something that really is directly kind of relatable. For, for those guys and 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 it's just a beautiful practical use of multiplicity and and the multiple selves and and these different characters that that are all around the boardroom and maybe some maybe one of them could be a kind of an ideal compassionate other uh, uh, the, the the compassionate board member uh, or the compassionate uh, member of the team who can then come in with those yeah, words of wisdom and strength and, and caring commitment around, you know, decisions that would be made. A, a, a very close friend of mine and, and colleague, he's a, he's, he does work similar to you here in Brisbane, Peter Bow, but he, he put a little poll out on, on LinkedIn recently, you know, what is the most important attribute for a leader? And uh, quite easily, the, the winning attribute on, on his poll, at, at least, was empathy. What are your thoughts there in terms of, you know, empathy in leadership? Mm. Really great question. I love that because it's something I come across quite a lot in, particularly in one-to-one -one work with leaders. For me, it's about perspective taking. Can you, can you put yourself in these, this other person's shoes and understand their situation? And I think where leaders sometimes become 
find this a bit challenging is when that sort of empathy is cranked up, is, is cranked up to one quite high level and they spend more time in the shoes of the other people rather than thinking about how they want to be as a leader, what they're trying to achieve in the organization. So it's in a weird way, it's almost working with them to work out how you can flex this empathy to, to be your understanding self and to appreciate this perspective. And then think about yourself and your own well-being and health, and also your role as a leader in, in moving forward, inspiring, in providing direction for a whole group of people. So I think empathy is so valuable, but I think sometimes it can overreach itself to the detriment of the leader's well-being and, and sense of personal efficacy, if that, if that makes sense. Yes. They can find themselves um, suffering because mm. they are... I, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm recommending just cutting off empathy. No. But I'm talking about a flexibility in the empathy, like, oh, I can see, I can hear, I can feel your suffering, and I can find ways to support you, or can you find other ways that you can seek support? So I want you to know I've seen you, I feel you, I hear you, and I'm also going to acknowledge these other perspectives and my own well-being. It reminds me again of, of, of flows and, and balance. One, one of the things that I've tried a lot to, to get my head around, self-empathy, um, you know, the, the, because that's sort of almost what you're saying, I think, is, is that, again, if the empathy is, is directed to the other and that is the focus and all we do, then we can lose sight of, of the perspective taking of ourselves in this moment mm. and what what we might kind of need or pursue or you know other other goals and actions and and that ability to be to flex to be able to shift or flow between empathy for the other empathy for the self um, mm. and similarly with with compassion you know the the, the that kind of I, I guess the same cautionary tale would would work, work with compassion as well that, it, that if we're always flowing compassion outwardly towards others then that might be what creates that compassion fatigue or something like that mm. so the keeping these these things uh in balance is is really really important well it sounds like you're doing some um remarkable work and and i didn't know the all of these bits about you actually so i'm pleased that i got to hear that the very um you know hands-on working uh in workplaces with with workers through to the to leaders and and so on and and trying to as you say spread the news around mm. you know, noticing with curiosity and kindness developing psychological flexibility um, working towards really improving our own and, and, and others' well-being. Now, I did want to uh, pin you down a little bit more on the on the people soup stuff. So, yeah, just tell us a little bit about the the genesis of that. Maybe how did that all come about? And and yeah, what's what's the story with people soup? Yeah, well, thank, thanks for that opportunity. So, yeah, people soup. Um, 
was a, as it, it was inspired by a quote I came across from Abraham Maslow. And he said, uh, a first-rate soup is more creative than a second-rate painting. And I was like, okay. And it made me think about a, a first-rate soup. Yeah, you can get a really delicious, satisfying, hearty soup, and it's made of special ingredients, spices, herbs, a blend. And it made me think of that a bit like an organization. And our working lives can be this blend of different things, different people, different projects. And when the blend is right, it can be really satisfying and nurturing and nourishing. And when it's not, I think that's where science can step in. And so I, I came up with the idea of people soup. And the actual genesis of starting to record myself and share stuff out there was in a lecture. I was doing a lecture at City University of London and talking about act in the workplace. And I was getting a bit frustrated. I was, I was trying to do a clarion call for the students saying, get out there, bang the drum. Organizations need you and science to go out there and, and deliver evidence-based interventions in workplaces because people are suffering. And they were like, oh, all right, yeah, okay. Some of them were like, okay. Some of them were like, mm -hmm. not sure. And because I had, I had this thing that we never see people, if there's an organization collapsed or there's a big scandal or there's a leadership issue or a scand uh, crisis, you know, very rarely see a psychologist interviewed, an organizational psychologist going, oh, well, that could be to the culture of this organization or not willing to challenge a leader or a leader not being vulnerable, bloody, bloody, blah. And one of the students said to me, well, what are you doing to bang the drum? And I was like, oh, crikey, bugger. And I thought, well, I'm working with organizations. I'm trying to reach more people. I thought, right, I'm gonna record. Uh, I, I think my first episode I called an audio blog because I didn't really even know what the hell a podcast was. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, I'll keep going. I quite like this. I quite like the medium of the audio. And it sort of chimes with my creativity, value, and, and courage just to go, heck, I could, I could put more stuff out there. And then I started getting guests and a bit of a following. So that's, that's where it came from, Stan. Hmm. It reminds me a little bit of, of when John Lennon, John Lennon met Yoko and <laughs> said to him, well, you can keep singing all of these songs about, you know, young love, or, or you can use your platform to really get the message out there. And so he did, <laughs> you know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes he, um, so we, we get this little bit of feedback, don't we, from, from others. And, and then it spurs us on to, to, to do great things and, and really to, to sort of try to, to get the, the message out there. I mean, they're, they're, they're one, it's a wonderful podcast and I certainly recommend people have a, have a little, little listen. What, what's, um, what, what are some of the, the projects coming up for you or, or what, what is, what's coming next? Yeah, well, I've just, I, I, love, I love playing with the podcast. It's, it's something as we were discussing before we, we started, um, it can take up an inordinate amount of time. Mm. 
and it's something I really love. So I've concluded season three, because I, th I think I'm Netflix or something. I've got this highfalutin ideas. <laughs> um, so I've concluded season three and then season four should start this weekend. And my first guest is Dr. Diana Hill, who is a clinical psychologist and ACT expert in California. And she's one of the hosts of the Psychologists of the Clock podcast. And I had a great conversation with her. And we talked about many things. She's got a book coming out, but we talked about hermit crabs. So that might be a bit of a teaser for people. Oh, yes. And so, so yeah, I'm launching season four. I've got you shortly going to be recording you as a guest, which I'm mega excited about. Me too. I, I'm very much looking forward to, to being a part of all that. That's going to be great. And I've got one other thing that I've just arranged this week. Um, a, an independent filmmaker from Brooklyn, New York approached me and he's produced a film called Work Songs where he's going around different occupations in America and exploring meaning for people at work, exploring with people what gives them meaning, whether they work in a florist, whether they're a longshoreman, whether they are an Uber driver. And it's about an hour or so long. And I just think it's such a beautifully created and crafted insight into the world of work. It's pre-pandemic. And I just think it's so beautifully done. So I'm sponsoring a screening of that. So still sorting out the details, but basically I will have around about 75 free tickets for people to log on over a period of a week to watch this film. And then they can channel questions through me and I'm gonna interview the director of the film, Mark Street in Brooklyn. I'm gonna uh, interview him with people's questions about this. Because I think we don't talk about our work or just explore that idea of meaning of work enough. And it's just something that really chimes with, I'm really excited about it. And it's just a fun thing to do. I, I'm really just, honestly, Stan, I'm making it up as I go along this podcast malarkey, but I'm having fun, yeah. which, is, which is really nourishes me. Yeah, that 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 sounds really fun and and sort of different or or new, you know, the 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 the, the sort of the um, the the schedule there of of how you you know people are going to get to watch it and then channel questions and then you'll interview the director. Oh, that, that's, I mean, yeah, very cool. I mean, it, it's in a funny sort of a way, you've created your own tasty soup of people. Haven't you? <laughs> all of your guests, all of your yeah. recordings, um, not to mention the, uh, the the people soup that is also always going on inside our own heads with our own boardroom tables and and so on. So yes, it's 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 wonderful stuff. So one of the things that I ask people is just at the end of these these little conversations is what might be three tips? So three things that you might, you know, just sort of suggest to people who are kind of on their way with their, their compassionate journeys. 
So yeah, three tips. Mm, yeah, thank you. I think I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna flex that a bit. Okay. I'm gonna go, I, I think I'm gonna, I think it's two. I think it's two. So I'm gonna go with noticing, but I'm gonna say, I'm gonna suggest that in a way of pause. Can you take a pause during your day? Maybe in the morning, maybe at lunchtime, maybe, maybe as you transition that boundary from work to after work, can you just take a pause? And in that pause, just notice what your mind's up to. Just pausing to notice without the need to do anything, just noticing what the mind's up to. Noticing what's coming up and thinking, how would I like to show up there? And, and I think we don't often afford ourselves that pause. And I think it's such a valuable thing just to help us maybe with, with practice, just be the person we'd like to be a little bit more often and be more intentional and recognize we have choices about who we're about to be. And my second one is a visual, if I may. Certainly. I've, I, here's something I prepared earlier, Stan. It's something we use in training and it's, I, I've decided it's called the Flexman Maneuver, named after my pal and colleague, Dr. Paul Flexman. And it's something we actually use in our training. And we say that in our lives, there's things that can, things that can influence how we show up. And one of those things is our personal values. That they can really influence and we can and we can connect with them we can reconnect with them we can make them more of a beacon for us and the other thing that can influence how we show up is our unhelpful thoughts emotions memories and urges and they're both at play they are both at play in our lives and what we're trying to do in the kind of workplace training we do based on acceptance and commitment therapy or act now let me see if i can do this is this, because these things, these two things can both influence how, how I show up in my life. What we're trying to do in using ACT in the workplace is this. We're trying to make our personal values, let's see if that's working, our personal values a more prominent guide to how we show up. And notice that these don't go away, they're still there, but we're just making these a more prominent beacon for how we'd like to be mm. and that little two sheets we call that in our in our trade or the flexman maneuver i love calling it that because paul gets quite oh you're such a pillock well no that's great two two really inv invaluable tips the the first is to to sort of pause actually and kind of notice and really to notice, you know, the mind and the moment. And, 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 and I guess in a funny sort of a way that then sets us up for tip two, which is the Flaxman maneuver and being able to work a little bit with the personal values and the unhelpful you know, sort of thoughts, feelings um, and so on. So, okay, great. Well, that's really wonderful. Now, 
if people were wanting to kind of find you or, or engage with you, what, what would be the best way to do all of that? Oh, blimey, I am all over the socials. Well, not, not all the socials. I'm not, I haven't ventured into TikTok, for example. I don't know about you, Stan. I haven't gone into TikTok. I, I, I don't really understand it, to be honest yet. So, <laughs> I, I think it's for the kids, Stan, to be honest. Um, so we'll be, no doubt in about a month's time, me and Stan will suddenly have this TikTok account. Where yeah. like, hey. yeah. But aside from that, I'm on Twitter. You can find us at PeopleSoupPod on Instagram at people.soup, on Facebook at PeopleSoupPod. And my website is rossmackintosh.co.uk. And I can send you all those links, Stan. Great. Yes, I'll, I'll definitely put those uh, links in the, in the description below. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to have a chat. It's actually really great. This is something I've loved about doing this is just getting to catch up with someone like you and, and to find out, you know, all of these details of, of the wonderful work you're doing. And, and, you know, especially in these this day, these days of the pandemic, you know, like it's, it's hard to hard to get to see old friends sometimes, especially from around the world. So, yes, thank you very much for for being on Compassion in a T-shirt in session. Thank you, Stan. I've had a fabulous time. It's been absolutely tremendous.